I greet you in worship on this first Sunday of Advent as we begin a four-week journey towards the celebration of Christ coming into our lives. For any I haven't met, I'm Bill Birch, one of the pastors here. And before the sermon, I did want to share with you some news about our church staff. We will be welcoming the Reverend Douglas Herlong as a new associate pastor on January the 1st. Uh, Douglas is currently serving at Old Camp Methodist in Carroll County. And this is one of the congregations that is leaving the United Methodist Church. Uh, We were delighted to partner with North Georgia Annual Conference to provide a place for Douglas to serve. He is appointed from January to June, but there's certainly a possibility that will become a permanent part of our church staff. I'll be sharing more about that in the pastoral letter this coming Wednesday, along with ways that you can contact him and welcome him to Northside Church. Our Advent worship series is glory be or glory to the newborn king. And we're exploring the nativity hymns of Charles Wesley. Historians credit John Wesley with the formation of the Methodist movement. It was his younger brother, Charles, who wrote the music that fueled the revival. Charles Wesley was born in 1707, the 18th child of Samuel and Susanna Wesley. Yes, I said 18th child. His father was an Anglican priest, and so he grew up as a preacher's kid in a parsonage. Later, he attended Oxford College, where he started a Christian devotional group called the Holy Club. And his brother John joined them. And the other students on campus made fun of their methodical approach to spiritual devotion and called them derogatorily Methodist. After graduation, he joined General Oglethorpe as his secretary to the new colony of Georgia. And his brother John joined them as the chaplain. It was not a good experience for the brothers. And they returned to England disillusioned. Then in 1738, Charles Wesley had a near-death experience. And it brought him to his knees and to God. And I want you to consider that for a moment. Here was a man born and raised in a devout household. He had practiced spiritual devotions all of his life. He was an ordained clergy in the Church of England. He had gone as a missionary to the New World, but it wasn't until he was 31 years old that he truly understood what it meant for having to have Jesus Christ as his Savior and as his Lord. And if you get no other takeaway from the sermon today, hear this. It's never too early and it's never too late to follow Jesus. Wesley liked to express his faith through poetry and songs. Uh, Scholars estimate he wrote anywhere between 6,000 and 9,000 songs during his lifetime, and some of them were gathered into a collection called the Nativity Hymns, and that's what we're going to be looking at during the season of Advent. Two of them are going to be extremely familiar to you, and the other two, not so much. But this morning, we're beginning with Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, and our scripture lesson comes from Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. As you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the gospel. 
In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Amen. And would you please be seated. John Wesley wrote, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus in 1744, and it has become a traditional song we often use on the first Sunday of Advent, because today's theme and the candle that we lighted is hope. And Come Thou Long Expected Jesus deals entirely and completely with the theme of hope. It was a moment where Charles Wesley's world... And God's Word came together to inspire the song. Remember, Wesley lived in 18th century Great Britain, which stood on the very edge of the Industrial Revolution. And it was a time of great social divide, where the rich were extremely rich and the poor were very poor. Beggars crowded street corners and lived in poor houses. Parentless children roamed the streets and sometimes were placed in orphanages. For those of a literary bent, it was the time of Charles Dickens' novels, including A Christmas Carol with characters like Ebenezer Scrooge, Bob Cratchit, and Tiny Tim. And in that backdrop, Wesley was studying the Old Testament prophet of Haggai, who was calling God's people to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And in Haggai chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, the prophet had God say, In a little while, I will once again shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come to pass. And it was that passage that inspired Wesley to write one of the phrases of our hymn, Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Wesley published it as a part of the Nativity hymns, but when you hear it and see it, it's not a traditional Christmas carol. It doesn't have many of the same details as Matthew or Luke in their traditional Christmas stories. There's not a focus on the holy family of a census by Caesar, shepherds, angels, the natal star, the Magi, none of it's here. Instead, this is a more theological hymn that focuses on what theologians call the incarnation, God becoming flesh, the Lord God Almighty coming to this earth as a helpless infant. And it not only recalls Christ's first coming into the world, it also anticipates Christ's second coming into the world, that we believe the one who came will come again. 
Later in the service, we will recite the Apostles' Creed where we talk about how Jesus sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, where he was come to judge the quick, the living, and the dead. And the church leans into that future like a child anticipating Christmas morning. And part of our prayer is found in the book of Revelation in the final passage, Come, Lord Jesus, come. So this morning, I'm going to look at each of the verses in turn of Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. In the United Methodist Hymnal, there are only two verses, so you can relax. But each verse is divided into two, you're going to be impressed with me, quatrains. And we're going to look at each of those, and they're also going to appear on the screen so that you can follow along. The first part of the first verse is, Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. It's that first word of the hymn that captures the essence of Advent, of come, of this invitation to come, Lord, as an anticipation and expectation and preparation we await for the Lord's coming into our world as well as into our lives. And this theme of hope, I would encourage you to ask the question today and in the days to come, what is it you hope for the most during this Advent season? What do you desperately need for God to do in your life and in the lives of those you love and in your church and denomination and in the wider world about us? God is all about fulfilling hope. And this long-expected Jesus has come to set his people free, to free us from sin and death, to free us for forgiveness and life. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Then there's that line, from our fears and sins release us. As we rehearse the stories of Matthew and of Luke, time and again there are angelic messengers who appear to various individuals and groups, and almost inevitably the first words out of their mouths are, fear not. What are you afraid of? What are you anxious about? What wakes you up in the middle of the night? Hear that angelic message pronounced over your life today. Fear not. And then the song says, let us find our rest in thee. Couldn't you use a little rest in the midst of this chaotic and hectic world? To appropriate the words Jesus said when he said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you Rest, quiet, peace. The second quatrain goes on to say, Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every human heart. It begins by speaking to the identity and the nature of Jesus. He is Israel's strength and consolation. This is what the prophets have pointed to for centuries. It was what was set into motion from the moment Adam and Eve chose their will over God's will. That what Advent and Christmas means is that all of our hopes and dreams come true in that small child laying in a manger in Bethlehem. 
It's a hope for all the earth. It's not just for Israel. It's for the entire nation. I mentioned earlier how Haggai chapter 2 verse 7 inspired Wesley's phrase, dear desire of every nation. But then he makes it extremely personal by saying, and it's the joy of every longing heart. It's for the world. It's for the cosmos. It's for the nations. It's for everyone and every time and every place, which means it's for you and it's for me. The next part declares, born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. Wesley uses a poetic device of repeating the word born over and again. Jesus is born as a deliverer to save us. Jesus is born as a child. It points to his total humanity. Jesus is born as a king. It points to his total divinity. He is born to reign and to bring God's kingdom to fulfillment. When you read the Gospels, uh, Matthew and uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. Mark and Luke use the phrase kingdom of God. John, always different, talks about eternal life or everlasting life. They mean the same thing almost, but not totally But what they remind us is God's reign, God's rule, God's kingship is breaking into our world. It's here, but it's not yet. A few moments ago, we prayed the Lord's Prayer together. And part of what we prayed was, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because when one occurs, the other happens. When we're willing to kneel before the Christ child and submit our will to God's will, God's kingdom breaks into our world and into our lives. Another question I would encourage you to meditate upon throughout this season, how do you need God to change you, transform you, and how does God want to use you to change and transform the world? The fourth part, by thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone, By thine own sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. By thy own internal spirit. I hear people a lot during this season talk about getting into the holiday spirit. Like it's something you can generate and manufacture uh, with sugar cookies. And holiday TV specials. And family traditions, and decorations. And there's nothing wrong with any of those, but if you truly want to get into the holiday spirit, it's the Holy Spirit of recognizing that these holidays are actually holy days and we invite God's presence into our lives, ruling all our hearts alone to submit ourselves to Jesus Christ, not only as Savior, but also as Lord. By thine own sufficient merit, There's forgiveness of sins here and grace abounding and raise us to thy glorious throne of what we anticipate in this world is the world to come and in this life, everlasting life. In a few moments, we will culminate worship by the celebration of Holy Communion and you will be invited to come to the table just as we invite Jesus to come 
into our lives. We echo those words of revelation, come, Lord Jesus, come. We sing them aloud, come, thou long-expected Jesus. Because what this world and what each of us need most is found here and now. Let us pray. Gracious God, hear the prayers of your children. Abide with us, we pray. Through word and sacrament, speak to us of your love and of your grace. In Christ's name, we make our prayer. Amen.